you looked at export and import data from China in August that came out Sunday night of this week, uh, we saw that last night uh, for us taping it live. Those numbers are down on a month-over-month basis, 15 to 20 percent imports and exports. So right. uh, it, it really is uh, wreaking havoc. It's no longer conceptual. It is real economic pain being inflicted. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, John. How you doing over there? I'm pretty well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. How'd your fantasy teams do this weekend? You know, I really don't do fantasy because uh, I just like to live in misery. You know, I'm, I'm a giant fan from New York, as you know. Optimistic about the season, nonetheless. Uh, Daniel Jones, the local boy here from Charlotte. Yes. Uh, you know, providing some backup to Eli Manning. Uh, we must remember he's delivered us two Super Bowls, so I'm not going to get down on Eli. I think very highly of him. And uh, obviously the, the local team, the Panthers, struggled as well, gave a good fight, but couldn't pull it off. No, you're right. Yeah, I have actually four fantasy football teams. I don't know how that even happened. I wanted to do two. So I'm, it looks like I'm going to go two and two, and my Cincinnati Bengals lost uh, by one point at Seattle. Seattle has not lost a game in the month of September under Pete Carroll as long as he's been there. Is now, right? a loss wow. is a loss, but they definitely did a lot better than most people expect their defense looked better. So we'll see. But, you know, it's a long season, but so far I'm, – I'm also an Ohio State boy. They look pretty good. So God gave me Ohio State – and then he gave me the Bengals on Sunday. So a little bit of both, sure. but both worlds there. Mm-hmm. Well, your Buckeyes look real good, so yeah. so so we'll see about that. But, yeah, football's in the air, so people are excited. And uh, obviously people are excited about the markets too because we've seen really good performances last couple of weeks in spite of all the challenges out there. We're within a couple of percentage points, inside of a couple of percentage points of new records. Um, we had uh, – you were probably up 4 or 5% in the past two weeks, so we've seen some strength there. So I think what we'd like to accomplish today for our listeners, talk a little bit about recent market activity and some of the September seasonals. Uh, we did miss everyone last week on Labor Day weekend, so we've had some economic data come through, jobs and manufacturing and services. Monetary policy is always front and center, as is trade. And then finally want to go in a little detail on our uh, earnings estimate reductions uh, for this year and our preliminary number for next year. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But kind of a healthier tone to the market. Wouldn't you agree, Ryan? I would, John. You know, last time we were on here, like you said, was two weeks ago. We were talking about, hey, S&P down four weeks in a row. You go back since 2009 when you could argue this bull market started. It's only been one five-week losing streak in 2011. Well, fortunately, up two consecutive weeks, and we were really oversold also. But, hey, you know, we're bouncing up and only a couple percent from all-time highs. So let's emphasize that for our listeners. Mm-hmm. So since the the crisis, and yes. we've been in this most unloved of bull markets, right, over the past decade or so, we have not had five consecutive weeks. Only, only once one. in 2011. And, and actually, there was a six, that was actually a six-week losing mm-hmm. streak. But there have been a handful of times we were down four in a row. We mentioned it on our blog, LPL Research. That, that the dead downgrade? Was that August? Uh, yeah, it was right mm-hmm. around that yeah. time. It, yeah, I guess that would have been what? So eight years uh, ago, was, right about now? That was a fun now. time, yeah. yeah. That was something. Mm-hmm. Fun time. Well, we live to tell about that. And yeah, we really gained some traction these last few weeks. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, when you talk about the last few weeks, John, We've bounced, but what's interesting is it's the month of September. Now, let's talk about September for a second. Beside the fact that college football is starting and NFL is starting, historically, stocks don't like September for whatever reason. Most people, when you talk to them, hey, what's your favorite season? You tend to get fall more often than not. The weather cools off. There's some football. But historically, since 1950, John, September is the worst month of the year on average. This is a pre-election year, year three of the cycle. Again, September is the worst month of a pre-election year. 
Now, something that I no- noted on our blog, com last week, the last 10 years, September's up 1%, so it's not always terrible. It's right about average there, right in the middle there. But the other thing is it's kind of where you start. When, when September begins the month above the 200-day moving average, like we did this time, eight of the last 10 times, September is actually higher by a couple percent. When it's below the 200-day moving average, it's only been up three times the past 10 times. So it's, you know, kind of if you're really weak heading into it, oh boy, get ready. But when you're doing okay for the year, September can buck that trend. What about year-to-date gains going into it? Does that momentum play into it also? Or is it more... Yeah, it's it, synonymous with above the 200-day. It, it's really synonymous with above the 200-day. I did kind of look at that. It's not quite as oh, nothing is predictive and white when it comes to this. But no you know, guarantees. No, here, no right? guarantees. But you know, one thing mention that John. So August was lower. We had yeah. a six. Yeah, like, no guarantees. Dog days of you, summer, right? You know, compliance is listening. I can't make a guarantee, John. You know that. But August was lower, down a six percent correction at one point, down about two percent, give or take, for the S and P 500 at the end of the month. We looked at it, John. The last fifteen times, the month of August was lower. The rest of the year, so what is that? September, October, November, December. The final four months of the year, actually higher. 15 out of 15 times. So some weakness in the seasonal week, August, and slash September period. You tend to see Santa Claus come to town, and that's happened 15 times in a row. So Something yeah. foundational in the basing process, right? So exactly. we, we should keep that in mind. And then right. with the Fed being a tailwind, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. So September seasonal something for our, our listeners to pay close attention to because uh, – well, August and September, historically the weakest periods. Maybe we got all our pain over with in August, and maybe we're, we're, we're setting up for, for brighter days. Although, if you look at some of the economic data, as I do a seamless transition to domestic economic Very nice. Very thank nice. you. Thank you. It's not my first rodeo what here. What time did you get up today, by the way? Ooh, yes. yes. For re- aren't you about ready for lunchtime? I Absolutely. Mean, I'm ready for a nap. Yeah. I was on CNBC at 6 a.m., so uh, yeah. you know I can't start my day without two eggs, two pieces of bacon, a piece of toast, and a couple of cups of tea for this Irishman. So I had my alarm set for four. Okay. uh, But I just am so excited about the day and working on this podcast with you. I actually woke up at 3.30. (laughs) Somewhere. There might be a fib in there somewhere, but no. Yeah, so I'm going to- That's funny. If anyone sees me after noon, I'm going to face plant, I'm sure, at some point. So, uh, But yeah, it was a good time. I was on with- uh, Joe Kernan and uh, you know Joe can throw us some curveballs periodically, but today he threw some he threw some mild heat you know inside the box, so really wasn't a problem. Although he did mention one thing that I mm-hmm. think was important, he was concerned about an eighteen multiple that we had written about, and I want to emphasize that when looking at multiples, we encourage all investors, and I, I tweeted about this this morning. We look at PE multiples for the market. I don't want to get I don't want investors to get caught up purely on the multiple myopically or in a vacuum, right? You have to look, if you're going to say the market's 16.8 times since World War II on a trailing basis, you have to think about what interest rates were since World War II, and it's 6.75 or 6.87 on the 10-year treasury since World War II, and inflation is obviously 35 or 4% annually. So if inflation's half its normal rate and the 10-year is a fifth or a sixth of its normal rate, by all means, we think an 18 multiple is not swinging for the fences. Historically, if you just want to use the rule of 20, sub 2% inflation, 18 multiple tends to work out pretty well. Yeah, the rule of 20 is a popular one. Again, it is just simply forward PE multiple plus inflation should be right around 20, and that is pretty much where we are. Now, just so everyone knows, if you missed John this morning on CNBC, I think I'll throw his link to his CNBC 
appearance in today's show notes to the podcast. That's right. That's right. Good deal. Well, thank you for that. But yeah, as we did that seamless transition and then uh, <laughs> sidetracked, we yeah. went from seamless transition <laughs> to shameless self-promotion. So forgive me. Uh, we're talking about economic data. And uh, in spite of the strength in the market last week, last two weeks, we did get some kind of downbeat numbers on manufacturing and employment. Oh, you're right, John. Maybe we'll start with the employment numbers. So on Friday, the monthly jobs numbers for the month of August came out. Came in about 130,000 jobs created the month of August, which was, I guess the estimates were anywhere from about 150 to 160, depending on your source. So again, a little bit on the weak side of things, 3.7% unemployment. I mean, we're still creating jobs. The majority, I know we're going to get this in a second, the majority of the numbers that show the consumer continues to be quite healthy. So the employment picture still is pretty good. Is there anything kind of I'm missing here, John? 130, came in a little weak, market took it in stride, didn't seem like it shook things up, but it is a little, put it this way, maybe I'll hand it to you in a second. Right now, the 12-month average on jobs. I'll wait. Yeah, well, you know, hey, we've got 23 minutes here. Give me me some of the time. But, you know, the 12-month average, it continues to drift a little bit lower. So jobs numbers are drifting lower, still positive. What do you think about this employment picture here? Yeah, I think the market is telling us, the market signals that is telling us on the shameless self-promotion theme, um, we average about 220,000 jobs a month in 2018. This year, we're probably averaging 150 or 160, right? So uh, does the market give grace over that because we're in, you know, the 10th year of the cycle? You know, at, at some point, this thing's got to slow down, right? And uh, maybe that's just it. Uh, but if you look at the hit to manufacturing jobs, the hit to retailing jobs, in spite of the strength in personal consumption, I think the market is just saying that it's a normal course of action given where we are in the cycle. So um, I, what, what we're most encouraged about, and even the, you know, the headline number was bad. We don't want to be dismissive of that. Uh, the street was looking for 150 or 160. Yep. We came in at 130. But if you look at census employees for the government that was an additional 20 or 25,000 so the real print was closer to a hundred grand uh, for jobs last month but nonetheless what we find encouraging is that the average work week ticked up which we think is a positive and right. also average hourly earnings still in that 3.2 3.3% pace of growth very consistent and what we believe a tailwind to the US consumer when you see wage growth at that level that can a foster consumption but B, not generate sufficient inflation that would cause the Fed to pause on their intentions to uh, reduce rates further. Right. So the other big thing that we saw last week, John, at least on domestically on the economy, I, we had ISM data on manufacturing and ISM data on non-manufacturing, which I'll just call services to keep it simple. The manufacturing number, John, came in sub-50 which is contraction. First time we saw that since August of 2016. Weakening manufacturing is nothing new. We've discussed it on this very podcast many times. The flip side, the ISM services came in really strong, saw a good jump. So remember, the consumer makes up about 70% of GDP. This is just another bullet point that says the consumer, we understand all the concerns. We understand about China and a potential global slowdown. U.S. consumer does not seem to be impacted by that. And this ISM data that we saw from the manufacturing and services side of things last week just further confirms that. Is there anything that we're missing in that? Or is that kind of just what we've been talking about, honestly, feels like three months now? Well, I think what we need to appreciate, never lose sight of the fact that the longer thing this go- the longer this thing goes, the more scared people are going to get. So any hint right. of weakening data, obviously the 
inverted yield curve that we've talked about many, many times. Um, By the way, it was our most read blog last week, the inverted yield curve we right. on LPRresearch.com. Right. I say you put the word Trump or yield curve in a title, it'll probably be the that's most right. read. That's right. And once again, the yield curve was the champ last month. Uh-huh. But looking at looking at the manufacturing data, we have to be mindful. You know, Manufacturing is, what, one-fifth of the economy, one-sixth of the economy? Right. Services, mm-hmm. locally consumed, locally produced, uh, less volatile, uh, less variability in the output. Services remain very strong, and manufacturing is weakening, but we must be mindful. I, I would even say, if you just want to make the math easier and say manufacturing is a fifth of the economy and services are four-fifths of the economy, 80% of the economy, let's just say that uh, even though manufacturing is 20% of the economy, I would submit that manufacturing is 80% of the economic variability in the economy and economic volatility. So when you get that sort of dynamic, you know, tail wagging the dog, if you will, um, that's something we have to be very, very mindful of. Um, We have to be mindful of new orders as a lead indicator, right? But you've got to think that any degree of clarity with 100% immediate expensing provisions for property, plant, and equipment going forward, um, I don't think we're going to see anything on trade anytime soon because the 70th anniversary is coming up in China and their People's Party's Congress is meeting in uh, October as well. So, And then you have the Hong Kong situation. So uh, I don't think we're going to get any, even though there's going to be a meeting coming up, I don't think we're going to get any clarity anytime soon. But I just want investors to really focus on, yes, 49.1, I guess was the number on ISM manufacturing. That print, a print of 49 equates to economic growth of 1.8%. So the idea that manufacturing can be contracting should not be misconstrued that the U.S. economy is in recession. And I think that is really, really important. You have to go to, you know, paragraph six or seven to see the story that it it equates to 1.8% output. Yes, and I'm sure you read all those paragraphs. It's very exciting stuff. Absolutely. But, you know, it, it, one other thing maybe. So we've got a 10-year cycle, like you just said, of mm-hmm. economic growth. Four of those years actually saw sub-50 manufacturing. So And we, we persevered nonetheless, right? Exactly. We did persevere, and, and the economic cycle continued. So those are some positives. This week, the ECB is on tap. Also, China had some economic data. We had some positive news as it regards, potentially, I guess we'll say, with the China-U.S. trade discussions. Which one do you want to talk about first as we talk more international here for a few minutes? Sure, absolutely. But from an international standpoint with rates and policy, I think we have to talk about the Fed. Once again, not only do we have Jackson Hole a few weeks ago, we talked about that, but Jerome Powell gave a speech, uh, chair of the Federal Reserve, on Friday in Switzerland and was very emphatic on the Fed's uh, approach, and uh, the new buzz term is we will act as appropriate to sustain the expansion. I'm doing air quotes now as I speak. And I think that's something to keep in mind because uh, we still maintain two more cuts in 2019. There are three Mm. meetings in 2019 left. We think we're going to see two cuts, and that would take us down to what, 150 to 175? We're two and a quarter, two to two and a quarter right now. Yeah, so 150 to 175 would be the number. And, And maybe, you know, even if they have to cut again, Maybe the new mantra should be 1% is the new zero. You know, if you're 10 years into the cycle, they had to go to zero, you know, a, a 10 years ago, obviously, when everything was uh, falling apart. But maybe 1% is the new zero. And uh, I don't even know if they'll have to go that low. But if they get it to about 150 or so, then they have 
50 basis points to play with if we do indeed have that self-fulfilling prophecy recession that we suspect could occur around the election as businesses and consumers just decide to tap out. So we would be mindful of that. But the ECB is coming out this week. We should expect on Thursday, September the 12th, look for great guns from Mario Draghi. We could see a great deal of stimulus coming from the from the European Central Bank. So that will be really interesting. That also plays in our Fed's hands because we can't have our interest rates too far apart from where they are, which would suggest the Fed needs to be more accommodative going forward. No, that's exactly right. Now, John, when does he hand the keys over to Christine Lagarde? It's, it's coming uh, up, next right? month. That's yeah, what I thought. So this, is, this yeah. is kind of his it's, swan this song. Could be the swan song. So yeah. that'll be interesting from that point of view that this is his final um, decision leading mm-hmm. the ECB before he turns those keys over. So let's go to China for a second. So last week we did have, and I love the way you explained it, we had the confirmation that we're going to finally meet with China on U.S. soil in early October. And the market rallied, which actually was later than September when we were supposed to meet this month. So it's kind of funny that they put kicked the can down a little bit, but markets actually rallied on the news. I guess that we're optimistic they are going to meet, apparently, as of now, right. you know, face-to-face here in U.S. soil. Do you think they'll actually meet in here in early October? We're yeah. going to kick it again. What do you think there? Not, not she and Trump, but it's right. going to be, you know, the mid- yes. mid-level type exactly. discussion. So, um, yeah, the... The market rally because the September meeting was pushed back to October and we're finally having it. So, <laughs> yeah, No one likes September. We Absolutely. talked about that earlier. So, so yeah. we'll see what happens. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't expect, you know, any, any major development to come from the October meeting because, again, uh, President Xi needs to show strength with all that's going on in Hong Kong as well as the 70th anniversary and the People's Party's Congress coming up. So uh, I don't expect anything too great from that. But the the pain is being felt, right? Uh, If you looked at export and import data from China in August that came out Sunday night of this week, uh, we saw that last night uh, for us taping it live. Those numbers are down on a month-over-month basis, 15 to 20 percent imports and exports. So uh, it, it really is. Uh, wreaking havoc. It's no longer conceptual. It is real economic pain being inflicted in manufacturing domestically. We cannot deny that, but also what's happening with China's uh, export market. So uh, something's got to be done. And I think both, you know, both sides need to feel pain in order to act. And uh, but I'm just not convinced we're going to see anything in October. And it's conceivable we see something in the first quarter. And then that's when politics start playing into it, right? You better believe it. Do you get business investment in the first and second quarter so the economy's cranking in the third quarter and President Trump, you know, has that to run on? So it's, it's very curious to see, not that we want to be suspicious of any timing plans, but it, it's conceivable that could very well play out. Right. Now, John, we have maybe three or four more minutes here. Let's go to this week's weekly market commentary that we just released Monday morning here at LPL Research. We're taking a look at overall S&P 500 earnings. Now, I'll kind of set the stage and turn it over to you. We cut just slightly our earnings estimates for 2019, and we just released our 2020 earnings estimates for the S&P 500. Now, I guess, why did we cut our 2019? We probably talked about it in the last 20 minutes, but why did we cut exactly our estimates for 2019 here? Yeah, the big deal was business investment. You know, the consumer's been real strong, and uh, we've been very pleased the way the consumer held up. Again, a fully employed consumer with 3% wage growth, you know, that that uh, that adds up to a lot of money and economic output for the economy. Uh, yet to extend the cycle, uh, as we've suggested many, many times on this podcast, you need to have businesses investing because when businesses invest, 
you have improved capital expenditures and you have improved output per hour worked. Uh, when you have improved output per hour worked, the economy is more efficient so it can sustain its pace of growth. But also from an equity standpoint, you can help sustain margins because wages aren't eating away at profitability. So it really is, it really kind of is a virtuous cycle, if you will. But when we saw business investment essentially dry up, now be mindful, when, when we came out with our earnings estimates for 2019, a year ago at this time, the street might have been at what, 177.50, I think it yes. was, and we came out at 172.50, yeah. thinking we were being conservative, but this can be a humbling role, as you know. And uh, even though we were conservative, we had to ratchet back. And uh, now with only one quarter left, uh, we've seen flat to slightly down the past couple of quarters. So we're looking at $165. Now, we did this a month ago when we took down GDP, the 10-year, and our profit forecasts. We did a single report on those three. And then over the last three weeks, we did more detail uh, explaining for our investors and our financial advisors why we went about this. So we're at $165 in operating earnings this year, very consistent with consensus forecast right now. We believe an 18 multiple, as I mentioned earlier, 18, 18 and a quarter on 165 still gets us to that fair value range of 3000 which you know this morning we opened up, what, 2975 So we're, we're, we're basically right there. there. Mm-hmm. We went to market weight on the equity projection a few months back, so we're we're going to stick. Even if we get to three thousand one by the end of close today, we're going to stick with a market weight because uh, one thing I've learned in thirty years: the market rarely stays fairly valued. It's either grossly overvalued or grossly undervalued. And if it gets grossly overvalued, we'll probably take down our recommendation on equities until we see uh, more value, or if we get you know better prospects for earnings. And looking into next year, uh, Wall Street consensus I think for operating earnings was about one hundred and eighty-four dollars. Uh, when we came out with the number, you know, several weeks back, we came out with a number of 175. So we were eight or nine dollars below the consensus forecast. Still believe an 18, 18 and a quarter PE on that number gets us to that 3150, 3200 fair value range. Now, uh, if we get clarity on trade in the first quarter of 2020, you know, I'd be the first guy to jump for joy and raise that estimate. But until I can justify, and this is, you know, when me and you and I, Ryan, and the rest of the team, you know, make these calculations. We don't want a market, you know, we've used the term before, we don't want a market to rise that's giddy about liquidity Exactly. just because the Fed's cutting. We want to make sure there's, you know, there's an E there in the P-E ratio, right, to, to make sure we're paying up uh, in appropriate fashion as being stewards of our clients' assets. Uh, exactly, John. I think we're near the end of the road here. I want to thank everyone once again for listening to the LPL Market Signals podcast. Please feel free and email us at lplmarketsignalspodcast at lpl.com. Uh, with any questions or comments you have there. Also, please uh, continue to listen to us and give us a positive review on iTunes. Well, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting week. Uh, As I've said many times, we'll never get bored in these markets. When you think about September seasonality, some of the economic data, uh, what's happening with monetary policy next week? I'm sure we'll talk about the ECB and and, and the uh, Fed and negative interest rates. Right, right. Very so, uh, so we'll have a lot. And the Fed meets next week, right? The week of what? The 17th? The week of the 15th? Something like that. So very exciting there. And then again, looking at our earnings estimates again, we're all about fundamental investing and 18 multiple on 175 next year can get us to 31, 50, 3200 in our estimation. So thank you all for listening. Stay diversified, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you next week. Well, that's it for this episode. 
Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.